let's get rocking and rolling into today's presentation. We are going to be talking about training for fat loss, transformations, and conditioning. And it does seem that I am losing my voice a little bit. Uh, I came back from Anthony Robbins on Sunday night, or Sunday in the morning. I was losing my voice then, and three days of yelling and screaming at you guys. Uh, I'm losing my voice now. But it's all right, I'm gonna give you 100% every day. That's the trick. Don't half our shit. So most of us, of our clients, come to us for what? Results, yes, what type of results? Weight loss, yeah? What else? Get strong, what else? Athletic performance, what else? They wanna look good in the mirror, they wanna look good naked, and they come fat loss as well. So weight loss, fat loss, all those type of things. So basically to transform their bodies. So where does it go wrong? Training, diet, supplements, mindset? A little bit of all of those things? Yeah, probably. Well, here's the thing, right? Diet will make you look good in clothes. Training will get you strong. Diet and training will make you look good naked. Most people want to look good naked. So fat loss, if you look at the fat loss component of it, it's lifestyle and diet. Strength and muscle mass and performance is your training. We stack these things, diet plus training will give us the transformation. If we stack the mindset, we get a long-term transformation. And what do most people want? What do they want? What do they want? I can't hear you. They want a long-term transformation because they don't just want to be in shape for 12 weeks if they can't maintain it. There's no point achieving your dream body if it is a nightmare to maintain. And I say this to clients, I tell Heming, like we, we talk about with clients is we want to create a sustainable way that clients are going to progress over time. It's not a nightmare every day to maintain this physique because you're not going to maintain it. All or none seldomly gives you all, but usually gives you none. And usually when it gives you all, it gives you all for a very short window of time until it gives you none again. It's not a sustainable way to live. And I talk about this in my book as well. Chapter one, how I definitely fell prey to that mindset. So training for fat loss, I would say industry at large, definitely clients at large, is grossly misunderstood. Exercise will impact fat loss, muscle will impact fat loss, but nowhere near as much as people think. No, nowhere near as much as people think. People think oh, if I'll put on a whole hip of muscle, I'll have a higher resting metabolic rate, and therefore I can eat more food. In some degree, technically that is true, but it's not as much, it doesn't mean you can eat Big Mac every day and still not put on weight, right? Or you can have a whole bar of chocolate, you still gotta watch what you eat. So it's not as much. So what most clients think of fat loss training, this is what they think. If you say to a client, how do you lose fat? What do they think of? Running on a treadmill, right? That's what most clients will think of. And for the large part, that's what most trainers think of as well. They think fat loss equals cardio. What most trainers think of fat loss training is this, pushing a prowler. So you say to the average trainer, we're gonna do some fat loss training and I'll just get the client running laps of a prowler. What, the fat loss, what fat loss training actually is, is staying away from shitty foods and eating well. That's, that's where your fat loss is gonna come from. Right? That's, that's, you know, we talk about 80-20, it's gonna be diet. So when we talk about fat loss training, we can talk about conditioning, but if we want to actually get sustainable results, we can't, we can't divorce what we're doing with our nutrition. If someone's coming to us for a primary reason to lose fat and get a transformation, 
we don't have the conversation nutrition, we're not going to get where we need to go. Right? That, that is the reality. So at the lowest level of nutrition, we have, in terms of coaching, we have calories out versus calories in. And that's obviously a, a, a law that you can't break. But however, in terms of coaching clients to get results, it leaves a lot to be desired. Because most people know that they should eat less calories and they should expend more to lose fat, but they don't do it. And if we just took that and, you know, if, was, if everyone just understood that and they just applied that, then everyone would lose weight, right? Yes or yes? Yeah, yeah but people don't. So we need to, as coaches, look underneath the hood and understand why our clients don't follow these things. So this is something I developed on a practical level. And on a practical level, this is the enterprise lifestyle wheel. So when we're coaching clients, we're able to look at these areas of their life and essentially coach them on each area to help them unpack and uncover the linchpins that are holding them back to getting their results. Now, lifestyle can be a very big issue for a lot of people. And I think more than lifestyle, it's managing your lifestyle. Because most people are busy, but most people, even though they have a hundred things to do, they manage to get everything done and they're organized. Whereas other people get overwhelmed when, you know, they have to go to the, they have to do one extra thing. They get overwhelmed and they crumble. So what's with that? And I think part of that is being able to manage your emotions and manage things and just lifestyle management, you know, call it admin, life admin tools. You need to have, you need to sometimes teach your clients how to create kind of a, an admin system for your life and how to manage things. One of the first things I do with a team member, Heming will tell you, is get them on Google Docs and get them on Google Calendar, right? And, and teach them how to run a schedule. He's laughing because when he came to me, he was using pieces of paper. Um, that's a true story. So we, we live by our schedule. So I don't have a to-do list, I have a calendar. So my, cal my to-do list goes in my calendar. If I'm gonna do something, it's not on a to-do list, it's scheduled. If you say you need to do this at this time, great. I might write it on a list only for a brief moment to then schedule in so that it's part of my, okay, I've gotta do this thing. I've gotta manage it. So, Again, these are just tools. And the more affluent clients you train, the more successful clients you train, this will be a given. You won't need to coach your clients on this. Like, you're, like our clients, they're experts, they're teaching us. But if you've got clients who maybe aren't at that level, you need to take some level of responsibility and say, this is how we're gonna block it in. Let's block in your food. Because for some people, they don't, they don't learn these, school, these skills at school. Then we have gut health, right? I had a client come to see me and she wanted to lose a bunch of weight, she wanted to do a detox. We're doing the questionnaires, we're asking some questions. And I said, what are your bowel habits like? And she goes, oh, I'll go once, once, I'll go, go to the toilet every four, every four days. I was like, go to the toilet every four days? She's like, yeah, 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 I want to do a detox. I'm like, well, that's not normal, right? You need to go to the toilet once to twice a day, every day. And she was like, really? I've never got, well, that might be normal for you, but it's not normal by physiological standards. So people, you know, again, you need to have these conversations with your clients because if you're going to start changing their nutrition, you need to start looking at what is happening with their gut health because you can be technically on a calorie deficit, but if you're bloated, which you can be all the time because you're eating foods that inflame, you're not going to stick to it. You're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel, you don't want to follow it. You're going to go off track. You're going to be inflamed. You're not going to be at your best. You're not going to be cognitively at your best. So gut health has to come into the conversation. So fat loss, we eliminate with fat loss. We're trying to eliminate, we need to make sure our bodies are eliminating. So part of the conversation with your client is, how do you eliminate? Is it hard? Do you strain? These things need to be factored in. Do you get bloated all the time? Uh, looking at these things are gonna be 
very, very practical in terms of helping the client stick to the plan. Then we have food quality. So, I mean, look, if you go to the, the calorie purists, say the Effort Fitcher Macros crew, they'll say, oh, food quality, it's all calories anyway, right? And I, and I, I kind of really resent the statement, a calorie is a calorie. Because that's like saying a kilometer is a kilometer. Well, no shit, Sherlock, it is a unit of measurement, but a kilometer in the wrong direction is a kilometer in the wrong direction. Like, really, it's not a very helpful statement to say, because yes, it's a unit of measurement, and I feel like people just kind of nitpick, a calorie is a calorie. Yeah, well, eating a calorie from lollies, let's say, for example, that triggers an emotional habit and behavior where you start to binge are the wrong calories, right? It's, it's fucking bad calories, right? It's simple as that, because it's creating a bad habit. And that's how we want to start looking at these things. Yes, it's a unit of measurement, but food quality certainly pays, you want to pay attention to, because you can have a calorie from, say, salmon, which has you know, uh, fatty acids, protein, uh, and, and a lot of good nutrients in it, or you can have a calorie from sugar. Which one's going to give you more benefit, the salmon or the lollies? Which one? The salmon or the lollies? Kind of salmon, right? So we want to pay attention to food quality with our clients, and obviously through paying attention, because the reality is most of your clients, I don't know if you know this, weren't Excel spreadsheets in their former life. You know, I know Tyrone, Amy, Al, Jacka, who you hear from later, you know, they geek out on spreadsheets. They love spreadsheets. They track, you know, they, they're awesome. Your clients don't f***ing care. Some of them do, and that's awesome, but for the most part, they want it simple because they're busy. They're successful in other areas. They just want to get in shape. They want to be told. They want to do it. Some clients geek out on it, and they love it, and they're like, look, I can change this, and it's awesome, and you want to support that and have that skill set as well to do that. But I'd probably say lion's share of your clients, especially the more successful they become, more successful your clients are, they don't f***ing care. In fact, they want you to order their food for them. Here's the restaurant, circle on the menu which foods I can have because I don't cook, right? They want it simple. So paying attention to food quality is actually probably the easiest way to hack the next point, which is controlling calories. Because I'm not saying calories aren't important, right? Calories are important, we do need to respect calories. It's a physiological law. But the way we get there, like we're talking before about the way we get to a perfect squat, there are many paths to get to a perfect squat, as there are many paths to get to controlling calorie balance, right? If we just focus on controlling calorie balance, that usually leads us to focusing on controlling calorie balance and obsessing about the thing. If we focus on all the other variables, we're usually able to achieve it actually a lot easier without focusing on the thing we're supposed to be focusing on. Again, if I say to you, externally rotate your shoulder, or if I just say, bring your arm up and pull your, your chest up, I can achieve the same thing, but the way I achieve it is more understandable. And that's how we're coaching our clients, right? The next one is macronutrients. And again, macronutrients are important because our ratios of protein, fat, carbohydrate, again, if we're looking and shooting for a body composition change, we need to make sure we adhere to a protein goal. And that's probably the biggest and first thing we change with all of our clients is we get them to adhere to a protein goal. So in terms of that, whether you're figuring out calories or doing a meal plan, Protein comes from the word proteus, which means of prime importance. So it's always the first macronutrient that you set. And again, I gave some rough estimates. And I've got the exact science in my book, very, very detailed in chapter five. But in that, and just on a quick rough note on it, it is approximately 2 to 2.4, 2.2, your weight in kilos uh, times 2.2 to 2.4, right? That's your kind of protein macro goal. Now you divide that by how many meals you're going to have, and that's what you're going to shoot per, per meal. Now, for a lot of people who've never eaten that much protein before, they're gonna struggle, right? They're gonna absolutely struggle with that. But if we want a body composition change and a, a transformation, 
that's what we're shooting for. Pro protein, I mean, it's the consistent variable. If someone's in kind of like a higher calorie surplus, carbohydrates are muscle sparing, so we can bring up carbohydrates. So that's when someone's in a surplus, that's usually when we bring protein down. If someone's in a severe deficit, so like comp prep, we'll bring it even higher to like 2.53, as much as three. There are studies that have shown even as much as four times your body weight can actually uh, preserve protein. I've never gone as much as four, but three I've done. Um, but yeah, certainly you need to pay attention to protein. And then how you map out fats and carbohydrates is gonna be somewhat dependent upon client's personal preference and how you wanna make up their diet, right? Um, you know, you could go an isocaloric split, you could go higher fat, you could go higher carbs. It really depends on the client how you wanna make it up and their food preferences as well. There's many paths to Rome of how to do that. My personal preference, and this is something that shocks a lot of people, but I've been coaching for what? I probably, the last athlete I coached was, or last person I coached was probably in 2018. I probably, when my second child was born, uh, it's when I pretty much stopped coaching everyone. I coached someone recently this year, coached the prime minister this year for a little bit, but I was too busy, so Tyrone took over and Jacka. Um, so in saying that, I don't really coach anymore, but you know, I, I definitely have done my 10,000 hours and I've gotten, I don't know, I've trained. To give you an idea, I would have someone fly in every week to do their comp prep in 2012. Uh, I was doing a fuckload of comp prep. So, I don't know how many competitors I've trained, but a lot of people don't know this, that I would never track calories, right? These guys always laugh because they're like, how the fuck did you do that? Because I knew kind of roughly what food servings were. So I would just give everything in food servings. So I want you to have 150 grams of chicken. I want you to have 200 grams of sweet potato. I want you to have 100 gram, grams of rice. And then I would just make changes to their food every week. And I would give them options. If you could have potato or chicken or the potato or rice, you could have chicken or beef. Here's your protein. So my system of doing things for people was a bit different to the way the guys do it now, but I wouldn't track calories. Um, I would track food. I was still tracking, but my metrics were different because I knew, again, I was going to the more practical level, not the detail level. Horses for courses. You can definitely use both. Um, but I'd certainly do it with a food system rather than calories. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. Horses for courses. You want to tap in. And Amy touched on it yesterday, whether you use a meal plan or whether you used a macro system. I'd always use a meal plan. That, that was my default. I think I used calories once. Um, and then they asked me to go back to food system of a meal plan. So, uh, yeah, it's how, how you like to do things. And it's always very exact. And I actually had one of my trainers, I wrote out a plan for someone and I had one of my trainers do the calories and it was exact. It was exact to where the deficit should be if, when the, if they figured it out. He's like, I don't know how the fuck you do it, but, and again, it's just a sixth sense. You gotta remember, like I was growing up, like in, from 2004, yeah, 2000, my first bodybuilding comp was in 2004. So from 2004, I was heavily involved in bodybuilding. Like I emceed one of the A and B events and I was doing the workshops and the, the gym that I was at, it was all bodybuilding. So I was baptized in bodybuilding. So I definitely developed a sixth sense of, yeah, you'd be ready in six weeks. And I was always right. Like it wasn't, but that's again, just doing your hours and seeing and watching other coaches doing it and going, okay, yeah, I get it. And just repetition, repetition, repetition. To the point where it's just pattern recognition. Now it's a very hard act to follow because I don't even know how the fuck sometimes I know these things. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Another example, one of our, our trainers, Reese, right? He gave me, he, he had a coach do his carb up, right? And um, he showed me his carb up. I'm like, man, that's nowhere near enough carbs for you. And he goes, oh no, I'm gonna follow my coach. I'm like, that's fine, Reese, because I, I get it, man. You know, you pay this coach, but I'm just telling you, you're gonna look flat on the day. 
And, um, and I love Reese. He's one of my dear friends. Anyway, he did his comp and he looked good. And he goes, oh, I'm interested in doing your carb up. I'm like, all right, do this. And then I remember he came in the next day. He goes, you have my attention. I woke up and my glutes were striated. What do I do next? Anyway, I wrote out his, comp, his, his carb up for his comp and smashed it. I think that was the comp he won. Um, but he was spot on. Now, did I use measurements for that? Fuck no. I looked at him. You need this, 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 this. I know how much, like I saw him, his body changed. I know how much he's, it's a, it's a sixth sense. But anyway, macronutrients are important. Training, super, super important, obviously, is part of this. What you'll find with training as part of fat loss is training and keep, is, is positive reinforcement. What is it? Because dieting's boring, right? It's boring. Who likes dieting? Don't put your hands up. No one likes dieting, right? Maybe Tyrone somewhere, wherever he is. Um, but dieting can be, yeah, he's like, I love dieting. Um, dieting's boring. And if, if you're going every day and you're like, you're trying to get feedback from your diet, it can be really boring. But that workout that you do, that's positive reinforcement. It's positive reinforcement for your clients to stay on track. That's that dopamine hit that I've done something for my body. So training is part of staying on track for clients. This is where like nothing breeds success like more success. I said it yesterday. If you can get a client training with you three, four times a week, they're going to adhere to the diet and that's what's going to give them the result. Not because it's necessarily you're smashing them every week. It's because they're seeing you four times a week and they're getting that positive reinforcement that they're on track. So don't underestimate training in terms of uh, the, the mental benefit that it has for people. And stress, the way I define stress on a practical level is there's five stresses. Foods you eat, Foods you eat can be things like gluten, soy, uh, vegetable oils, dairy for some people, gluten, uh, and also, yeah, so the foods you eat. So basically foods that are going to create an inflammatory, soy as well would be in there. Um, foods that can create an inflammatory reaction. Now, not everyone, but some people, certainly these foods can create an inflammatory reaction. Foods you don't eat, malnutrition, in other words, is definitely going to create a stress to the body. And I particularly see this with people who don't eat enough protein. And which group and category don't eat enough protein primarily? There's one, vegetarians, who said vegetarians? 10 points, stressed, right? Um, and, that, and obviously then you start to give them enough protein and their bodies explode because they've been malnourished for, for a bunch of time. The other group uh, that I see is fitness model, well, kind of ladies who want to compete and they've read stuff and they just go really super low calories and they cut out all their protein and then you give them protein and they start to build muscle again. So you, you wanna watch for uh, malnutrition. The next one is lifestyle stresses. So lifestyle stresses can be relationship, uh, money, finances, the external stuff that you don't necessarily, you as a coach have control over, but it's how that person manages that stress and how they perceive it. Actually, fun fact, right? Uh, I believe this is true for SAS soldiers, but I think it was the Navy SEALs where they did this test on. So a Navy SEAL, when they're not in mission, they get fatter, right? And when they're in mission, they get leaner. Why? Because the way they register stress is they actually get a boost of testosterone. And it's kind of the difference between, so how you register stress is so important to your physiology and your mental health. Because most people register stress and they start to crumble and they think, oh fuck, it's the end of the world. Stress is good. And I know for me, when I'm under a lot of stress, I actually thrive. Um, and it's actually where the name Wolfpack come, came from. So the difference between a dog and a wolf is, let's say there's a scenario where there's a group of dogs and they're barking at a wolf. In that scenario where there's conflict, 
the dogs, if you look at them from a biochemical point of view, they have a rise in cortisol. They actually perceive it as stress. And cortisol is a blood glucose immobilizing hormone. What is it? Right, so it shoots out glucose to the bloodstream to the fight and fight response where you can either run away or fight, but it's perceived as stress. The wolf, on the other hand, has a rise in testosterone, where it's like, let's go, motherfucker, right? So the question is, in stress, do you perceive it as, shit, this is really scary, or do you perceive it as a thrill? You're going to have a different physiological response. Now, the point is with SAS, not SAS, I believe it's true for SAS soldiers as well, but uh, when they did it for the SEAL teams, their perception of stress is actually positive, right? It's something to think about in business and for your clients as well. So the way you perceive stress, and that's something that you obviously don't have as much control over for clients. Uh, the next one is acute uh, toxicity. So for example, if someone has low levels of mercury, for example, that could definitely be a stress to the body. And the final one is workout stress, overtraining. So all of you, by the end of today, you're all pretty stressed, right? Your bodies are pretty stressed, pretty tired. You run a marathon, that's a stress to the body, you gotta recover. You don't wanna keep digging the hole, because if you keep digging the hole too much, you won't recover, right? It's where injury kicks in. You wanna allow time for supercompensation. The lower you go with the hole, the more time you need to supercompensate. So that's why I said, sir, most of you shouldn't train for the next five days, three to five days, give yourself complete rest, right? And bring up your calories a little bit and you'll overcompensate. Um, Sleep would also be inside of that stress as well. But that's also a indicator of. So your poor sleep is because you're stressed, if that makes sense. And again, a window to managing that stress is heart rate variability. It's what? And we spoke about that on day one, right? Um, my heart rate, my highest heart rate variability last night, I was like, man, that's good. I was 162. It's like, it's solid. I was pretty happy with that. Tyrone's was 20. Heart rate variability. I got up to 162 last night. Where are you at, 40? <laughs> the higher it is, the better it is. Um, so you are, you are like a Navy SEAL. So at a meta level of all of this, right? So a meta level means, so the lowest level for diet nutrition, we talk about calories in versus calories out. I just laid out a whole bunch of stuff on the practical level. If you want the detailed written version, you can grab a copy of the book, The Enterprise Diets, chapter three, where I talk about calories versus hormones. But at the meta level, at the, the highest level, it's mindset, right? At the highest level, it's mindset. It's the linchpin that rules all, it governs all. So if we can get our clients to shift, give them the missing piece, because what happens with a lot of clients is they say things like, I'm missing out. Oh, I don't want to start now in Christmas, but why? Like, isn't Christmas gonna happen every year? So do you just wanna get in shape after Christmas and then get fat again for next Christmas? Like, don't you wanna train over Christmas not to get fat? Like, don't you wanna stay in shape over Christmas? Um, but then people eat all the calories in Christmas and then put all the calories, then they eat none of the calories in New Year's, right? It's this all or none mindset where these things can be managed. It's, it's a flow, it's not a all or none. Um, you can have both, so it's a mindset. How do I manage my physique over Christmas? How do I keep healthy? Because I want to be healthy. I'm a healthy person who eats healthy foods that build and nourish my body. That's irregardless and irrespective of whether it's Christmas or not, right? That I'm going to be healthy in New Year's and I'm going to be healthy in Christmas. I'm going to be healthy in January and February and all the way to December. And I'm going to repeat it every year, right? It doesn't change. I'm going to enjoy my Christmas because I like food. It doesn't mean I'm not going to eat food. I'm going to eat all the food, 
I'm going to eat all the calories. And then I'm going to get up the next day and I'm going to train. Why not? Have that as a belief instead of, oh, I need to start at this time. Because the people who are saying I need to start at this time, that's an identity. Right? You understand? They're seeing it as separate from themselves instead of who they are. So at a meta level, you need to teach clients how to dance with the flow of time and manage these priorities and keep health as a consistent stream in their personality or in their way of being. So training for fat loss, uh, fat loss will be achieved through nutrition. It'll be augmented by training. It'll be sustained by lifestyle and normalized by mindset. I'll say that again. It's going to be normalized by mindset. Have you ever noticed that the same people need to lose 10 kilos every January? Yeah, what's with that? And the thing is, is they lose 10 kilos through the year. And then they still want to lose another 10 kilos. Because they don't change the goal. It's always, I need to lose 10 kilos. So what they do mentally is they lose 10 kilos, they put on another 10 kilos, to lose another 10 kilos, to put on another 10 kilos, to lose another 10 kilos, to put on another 10 kilos. Because their mindset hasn't changed from being the fat person to being the healthy person. The healthy person doesn't need to lose 10 kilos. The healthy person isn't moving away from pain, they're moving towards pleasure. I don't train because I have to, I train because I want to. I train because it gives me benefit, it adds value to my life, it makes me feel better about myself, it makes me feel better about who I am, it makes me express physically and motivates me for life to be able to present my best. But the person who's not in that state, they're trying to move away from something. The thing is with motivation is pain will push you until the vision pulls you. You need to create a vision for your client where the pain does not exist, where the vision is the sole existence, where they're able and motivated to be able to achieve that. So if you're constantly moving away from pain, it's not a great goal because there will come a day where you wake up and the pain's not there. Then what do you do? Invent another pain? Well, that's called victimhood. Yeah, what is it called? Victimhood. Everyone together now. Victimhood. Do we want to be a victim? No. Fuck no. Give me a fuck no. Fuck no. Right. Do you want your clients to be a victim? No. no. Right. So we need to normalize it with our mindset. We need to move away from the pain and we need to move towards the pleasure. We need to coach our clients to make that mindset shift. Right? So some principles here. You can't out-exercise a bad diet. If the diet's shitty, they're not going to get results. Increased training demands will increase appetite. So if you give, and fuck, I remember when I was coaching a lot of comp prep competitors, the standard back in when I was like, you know, in 2010, kind of the standard advice was you would do an hour of cardio at the start of your prep every day, and then like you would increase it by 20 to 30 minutes every like four weeks, which meant for some people, they would end up doing three hours of cardio a day plus their training and on 900 calories. And then they wondered why they felt like shit and looked like shit. It's like, really? You're supposed to have muscle mass and you're training like an endurance athlete. Like, and you're not eating anything as well. And now you're wondering why you need 14 cups of coffee a day to stay awake. Like your whole diet is fucked. And that's why they would put on 14, 15, 16 kilos straight after their comp and really struggle to, to, uh, to get back to any standard of health. So the goal isn't necessarily just do a whole bunch of busy work. As we said, most trainers, when they think of fat loss training, they just think about pushing a prowler. It's a very, very, no, it's not, it's not fat loss work, right? So increased training demands will increase appetite. That's why we need to manage nutrition. 
Uh, the myth of the fat loss workout. Yes, there are some workouts that will, but the, the, the thing about a fat loss workout is a workout that's going to increase lactic demand. It's going to increase what? Right. So there, you can do kind of a more fat loss orientated workout, but again, if you eat like shit after it, it's going to be mitigated. So fat loss is body comp. Body comp standard is hypertrophy rep ranges plus diet. So the, the best fat loss training is kind of the workouts that you did yesterday. Right? You don't need you don't need necessarily conditioning work for fat loss. It can help, but it's not required. Got in plenty of people super, super lean without doing any specific conditioning work. It can help though and it can augment. And again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do cardio and I'm not saying that cardio is not gonna benefit your overall health. Absolutely it is. In fact, Tyrone and I and James, we discussed this where if you do your heart rate work, if you do your conditioning work, it actually augments building strength, it augments building muscle because you have a better base but it's not mutually exclusive. You don't need to do them to get a fat loss goal. And that's, that's the point that I'm getting at. They're not independent, they're not, co they're not independent variables, they're codependent variables. Sorry, they're independent variables, not codependent variables. If you're enjoying this presentation, make sure you hit subscribe on our YouTube or follow us on our podcast, available anywhere where you listen to podcasts. How to program fat loss, address the diet and lifestyle, plan a training program to address dysfunction, like any other program or any other client, Train them like a bodybuilder. Standardized tempo to 4010 at a minimum. You could go higher than that. You go 5-6-0. Give them 8 to 12 reps. Make sure the rest times are short, 90 seconds, so you're building up lactic acid. Readdress their diet and instill a healthy mindset. Now, I've just told you how to get results for your clients for fat loss in six steps. Easy? Yes or yes? yes. Right. Don't overcomplicate shit. So, fat loss is not an adaptation. When we're training, our adaptations are, say it with me, strength, strength muscle, muscle, and, endurance. right, there are adaptations. Fat loss is not an adaptation. Fat loss is a byproduct if nutrition is address addressed. It's a what? Exactly. So, energy systems training slash conditioning versus fat loss. So, there is merit to energy systems training. But if we, we're training energy systems, we need to be clear on what we're actually training. So, fat loss and conditioning is not busy work. So, again, pet peeve of mine is we're doing fat loss training, or my favorite, we're doing conditioning training. And there's no parameters, there's no specifics over what conditioning training is. It's just there's a prowler, go push it, there's some ropes, and there's a box jump, go do as many as you can. And, Get your heart rate up and just do it all again as fast as you can. There's no parameters, right? That it's, it's, it's what I call busy work. It's just being very, very busy and getting your client to do a bunch of shit. And if I get you to do a bunch of shit, you'd be like, oh yeah, my heart rate's up. But are you gonna get results in the long run? No, it's busy work. There's no structure. This is CrossFit. Basically, this is CrossFit, right? Um, this is a lot of group training classes. It's, it's just circuit after circuit after circuit. People feel smashed but you're not paying me to feel smashed. You're paying me to get your result. I don't care whether you feel smashed at the end of the workout or not. In actual fact, I'd rather that you didn't feel smashed so I can train you more frequently and that you enjoy it and get the result. And I say this to every client, I don't want you to vomit. I don't want anyone to vomit. I don't want you to walk out being like, man, this is like, I don't enjoy it. I want you to walk out with a smile on your face. I want you to walk out happy because my goal, rather than the feeling you attach to it, is to give you a result. Now I'm gonna push you, I'm gonna call you on your shit, 
but I'm just going to get you to do what's required for that absolute performance. It's not about you feeling a certain way, it's about you doing the work. I'm attached to the work, not how you feel. So conditioning, if you're going to do conditioning correctly, conditioning must have constraints. It must have what? Constraints. Right. So ask, what energy system do you want to train? Then you set the constraints. Because is an alactic a energy system different than training your aerobic energy system? Yes or yes? Right. So we need to have an idea about what we're actually trying to achieve. If this is the goal, we need to know how to get there. Otherwise, we'll be driving in circles. So pliers and jumping, James did an awesome job of explaining this the other day, but what is the purpose? Is it a general climb? Is it box jumps? Plyos, again, one to six. Six is usually on the high end, usually three, depending on the phase. Ground, and you've got to look at ground contact time. So instead of plyos, plyos actually have more skill in terms of them, but you want to use movements that are dynamic or require speed that are low skill, right? So pliers can be actually a higher skill activity, but we do want to create an, a, a dynamic nature in what people are doing that are low skill. And I explain what I mean by that. So it's not plyos, it's rather dynamic movements. So we are going to use dynamic movements for our conditioning. So kettlebell swings, if you can, clean and snatches are great. Uh, kettlebell dynamic movements, things like farmer's walk, strong man, strong women type of movements are, are awesome. It's like using the farmer's walk, using yoke, using these things, sleds. Uh, farmer walk variations, which I'll show you. Sled work, sled variations, drag, pulls. The thing is, they need to be timed or for reps because we want to be hitting the energy systems. Prowler, we're going to be timed. Prowler pushes, we've got to set constraints on these things. Other dynamic movements, rope. You know, upper body cardiovascular work is very, very taxing. So usually if I'm doing like rope with someone, I'm getting them to go all out, turbocharge 100% for no more than 15 seconds usually, right? So it's 15 seconds of absolutely, you bring me all of your intensity 15 seconds, then I'll give you a rest, right? But I want absolute intensity 15 seconds because it's very, very taxing. Rather than I'll oh, grab the rope and do it for two minutes on the rope. And you see people. Like I'm fucking bored, and they, they're looking around, and because you know, they're not able to give 100% for two minutes. Like, give me 100%, get a lot more out of it. Training the alactic energy system that way as well, and the phosphorus energy system. So landmine uh, squat press, landmine uh, single double, dynamic landmine dynamic movements, wheelchair wipers, yoke carry, rope climbs. These are just some of them. Other dynamic movements, dead ball throws, horizontal or vertical, not bounce to wall, which we're gonna do these things today. Dead ball atlas stone to shoulder or to a height, power cleans for experienced lifters in the right conditions, tractor ties if you've got them, flipping, dragging, bashing, carrying, get the sledgehammer to it. Uh, if jumps, never jumping down under conditions of fatigue. That's one thing I see a lot of these people jump and they, they jump down. If you're gonna do jumps with clients, you jump up, you step down. You jump up, you step down. Just to, especially if it's under conditions of fatigue, right? Other ideas, think strongman implements and other dynamic or ballistic movements. So upper body conditioning, my take on upper body conditioning is it can detrain the upper body, AKA making you weaker. Uh, so if you are gonna do upper body conditioning, it's not to say it's necessarily always gonna be the case. It's just the thing of, if you're gonna do it, I wouldn't do it as aerobic work. I would do it as anaerobic work, which means that you're doing 15, 30 seconds on hard, 30 seconds off or 60 seconds off, go hard. And you might do that 15, half an hour, but you're doing bouts. You're not doing like a 30 minute as you would walk. The upper body is not built for locomotion. 
right? We don't walk on our hands, we walk on our legs. That's why our legs are a lot more resilient in terms of fibers. We want to keep our body. So we can detrain our upper body through doing a lot of aerobic work. So it's just something to keep in mind if you're going to do a lot of upper body conditioning work. You're looking at me really stunned right now. You're like, you do a lot of upper body conditioning work? Right. So if I'm going to give upper body conditioning work, it's okay. I'm just going to give it under the conditions of short bouts of intensity. So like a good example of this would be punching a bag, right? You're not gonna, you know, when you're punching a bag, depending on how you're punching it, obviously, but usually it's timed rounds, right? And, and there's technical aspects to it as well, where you're trying to put power behind every punch and repeat those efforts. So in terms of doing like a lot, a lot of rowing, like this machine here particularly, I really don't like these machines. I think they're terrible. Um, rowing's good because you can use a lot more legs on your rowing and you can use kind of like your arms secondary. So it's also how you row. But point like things like rowing is I would do it as uh, kind of your, HO, uh, your hit type of style is go hard, rest, go hard, rest. I wouldn't do it the way I would approach, say, walking, as in, as a, I wouldn't do it as aerobic work, right? And you've seen that in the studies that show with rowers where their 1RM starts to become more like their 12RM. So it's just a cautionary thing. Again, you can still use it. You just need to use it with constraints. And I hope, hope the point that we're getting across here, it's not everything, it's like, the prowler's not bad, right? Ropes aren't bad. We have rope, we have a prowler. These things aren't bad, okay? It's how you use them. They are tools. If you use them as aerobic work, well then yeah, it's stupid. They're not built for aerobic work. They're built for anaerobic work. So use them the way they're supposed to be used. That's the point that I'm getting at. Put constraints on your conditioning. Understand what energy system you're trying to target. So energy, energy systems training conditioning for athlete. Again, I love the people who come up to me and they say, you know, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. What sport do you coach? Oh, all of them. Really? Because I don't know really any, I mean, there's very few super high level strength coaches who train all of them. Usually a super high level strength coach specializes in one, maybe two sports. Um, because of the fact that the energy system demands of those sports they're very varied and you need, you need to know that sport, right? And it does take time to understand and learn the sport. So I know quite a bit about boxing because I've trained boxers. Um, I haven't spent the time looking at other, other sports. James knows quite a lot about ball sports. Why? Because he's obsessed with ball sports, right? He can tell you all that. He's far uh, more experienced in that area than I am. But address the energy system demands of the sport. So for example, Andrew Maloney, uh, this was him running. So we put a heart rate monitor on him and I wanted to see the demands of what was happening in the ring to develop his conditioning program, right? Again, when we talk about conditioning, this is going to make sense now. Talk about conditioning, it's not this pseudo thing, oh, I want to get him more conditioned. This is what, this is what his heart rate happened when he got, went for a run. So heart rate was on, he'd start his run, Three minutes in, he was at 163 beats. His average was 172 beats. This was building his base. We spoke about the pyramid before. This was building his base, his aerobic base, right? But he's boxing an aerobic sport. It has an aerobic component to it, but it, it's both, exactly. It's mixed, it's variant. So we need this. It's not we want to uh, get rid of this completely, but is it specific to three-minute rounds? No, it's not. It's not specific enough. This was Andrew's heart rate when he sparred. 
right? This is what happened when we sparred. So, and this was a shock to me, actually. This was a complete shock. So as you can see here, the first three minutes of the round, uh, he was up at 180. His heart rate only got down to 160. Next round, up again at 180. And you gotta see in between every round, he's up at 180. And the lowest he gets down to is about 160, right? So that's what happened when he sparred, eight rounds. So I got all of his data for sparring. Uh, so first round, sorry, by minute. I, got, I, I pieced it together by minute. So in the first round, the first minute was 155, second round 165, third round 177. The rest, the first rest he got down to 155, second rest 153. Third, fourth rest, 155, uh, 153, etc., etc. Right, and you can see here he's really by the like the, the eighth round, he's really he's at 182, so he's he's pushing like hard. he's not recovering in those rounds. Like he's he's now at these later rounds, he's he's still jacked. He's not he's not resting to be prepared for the next round. If that makes sense, because his heart rate's not getting down to where it was. So this is data. Now, most people hate data. Most people hate numbers. I love numbers. Why? Because numbers tell a story. It's how you interpret the numbers, and that's the story that you can tell. You need to turn your numbers into words. So, what I developed was I wanted to develop a strength and conditioning program when we started getting closer to fights that was specific conditioning for his heart rate and the demands where he was fighting. So knowing this data, I knew that I needed to push him. I need to, what I wanted to do was create a program that got his heart rate while getting him strong up to 180. But also under the controlled conditions of the gym, I was able to talk him through some breathing, but also to dump him as low as possible uh, during our rest. Does that make sense? So my goal in the gym, because it's controlled, I own the gym. In this environment, I am your surgeon. I'm going to be doing surgery. I'm going to be precise, right? I control, I own this environment. So I'm going to push him. I'm going to get his heart rate up to 180. Then I'm going to tell him to sit. I don't want you to think about anything. And I'm going to coach him. I was talking to him. Breathe, deep breaths in. This, this, coaching him. Imagine you're in the ring. Take a deep breath in. Slow your heart rate down. Because I'm trying to train him to dump his heart rate as low as possible so he can recover, get more oxygen in to go again, right? Um, so now you can see the specificity of that's what's happening in sparring. That's what's happening in our training. Make sense? So I say constraints. Now, someone says, oh, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. Now, just do a prowler. Where are the constraints? You understand? Like now you're starting to see why constraints are so important because it needs to be specific. So then we did this one, which was four rounds. We got his heart rate even higher again. We kept it at, a, at pretty much 180 for the entire three minutes. These were three minute rounds. Yeah, they were three minute rounds. Um, yeah, so we did four rounds, weight training circuit two. We were able to achieve the same thing. Uh, so I used a few different methods with him from what we, one of our, my favorites on YouTube actually, was I would choose six exercises Every exercise was 30 seconds. I'd have the whole gym set up and 30 seconds of exercise one, exercise two, exercise three, exercise four, five, six, and then circuit, rest. Would go again, rest, go again, rest. That was one variation, another variation, I'd give him four exercises, another variation, I'd give him three exercises. The three exercises one was always the hardest one. 
uh, surprisingly. The six exercises one was, was easier. But, you know, to run these type of sessions, you had to be really, really, really super organized. So I'd have everything already set up before he walked in. Really, really cool stuff. So thoughts on running and conditioning. You got to remember that, again, the wider the base, the higher the peak. Volume and is the killer of fatigue, right? Volume is what's going to make people fatigued and drive them into the hole. So it's not the intensity. So often like with Andrew, I got him to like four rounds or three rounds because I got into that intensity and then dropped him off. The thing about like running in, as you get more closer to a, a like specificity, because again, you start at a camp or you start your you know, off season very general, but then you work up to specificity. As you get closer to specificity, everything you do needs to be for a reason. So this is where I would coach and say, you're running as we get closer, it has to come out because everything that we do needs to be more orientated to the task at hand. So this is where if you have an athlete and they think it's okay to go, you know, go play golf or do something, it's not, right? Because also playing golf um, is your, you know, if you go to a driving range, which you might think is awesome, for an athlete, you're hitting, in an afternoon, you could hit 500 balls at a one RM uh, intensity. What is that gonna do to your nervous system? It's gonna fry you, right? So they're thinking, oh, I'm just hitting golf. Yeah, dude, you hit five, you did 500 1RMs and you're wondering why you feel Well, you feel because you hit the ball 500 times as hard as you possibly could at a diving, driving range. That's not your sport. You don't get to play golf. <laughs> you, you know, I'm giving you an example, but the more elite the athlete is, the more specific, the more orientated they are to doing one thing, right? If you want to be a generalist and be generally good at everything, that's one thing. But if you want to be elite, then you are going to be shit at a lot of things. It's the thing that people don't realize about elite athletes is swimmers are terrible runners. Why? Because they're elite swimmers. They're going to be terrible runners because they spend most of their life in the pool, right? Um, so, and look, there are some athletes who are just freaks at everything. But again, the more elite someone is, the more specificity they're going to be at that given task, which means they're going to rule out a lot of other things. Unless you're a gymnast and gymnasts, well, gymnasts are interesting. They're good at a lot of things, except don't get a gymnast to jump. jump. Gymnasts are horrible jumpers because they don't learn how to jump. They learn how to rebound. Yeah, so they don't have the same power as say like, you know, getting a gymnast to play basketball. They're going to be terrible at basketball because they can't jump, all right? Energy systems for athletes. So specific to sport and HR and heart rate during the sport phase of training. So, gen, so tying it back to general population client. It depends on the time available. What do they want to achieve? What, they, what do they enjoy? Could it be addressed in the weight room? That's the question you want to be asking. Complement energy systems training with your training conditions. So examples, your training hypertrophy, it's 10 to 15 reps. It's a lactic energy system. The conditioning work you do could be bouts of 40 to 60 seconds of work, right? So they might do like a, I don't know, depending how fast they run, but they might do 400 meter dashes, right? If you're training one RM, you might do 10 meter sprints if you want to add in the uh, complementary energy system work. So training strength is the example. You're doing one to five reps. It's a lactic energy system. So therefore the conditioning work would be better in that phase to do 15 to 20 seconds of work to condition for that. So again, if it was a powerlifter, I'd be doing more sprinting. If it was bodybuilding, I'd be doing 400 meters. That's probably the easiest way to, to think about this. So optimal conditioning workouts should be reflective of the rep scheme and goal uh, you are following for the training block. I like to set it up like that because then you have the, the neural demands are complemented. 
So, cardio. For what purpose? Is it body composition, conditioning, general fitness, sports specific, cardiovascular health, structured or unstructured? So one of the most common questions we get is, do I have to do cardio? The short answer is no. The short answer is no. But kind of a minimum base of life is about 10,000 steps a day. And the reality is, which is about an hour of walking a day. And that could be incidental. But the sad reality is today, there's a lot of people who work in offices who get about 3,000 steps because you can get Uber and you can swipe this and click this and have this delivered at your door and work from home and all this kind of other stuff. And um, yeah, so, so a lot of people don't get anywhere near to 10,000 steps. So you do want to set, I think, a, a minimum. And Tyrone said it beautifully yesterday is you want to start coaching people on, okay, if you used to 3,000 steps, let's make it comfortable, go to 5,000. Once they're comfortable 5,000, let's go to 7,000. But 10,000 really as, as a step goal is, is where you want them. And now you might say, you know, if they want to get super lean as part of a comp, let's say for example, you don't necessarily have to do structured cardio. You might even give that as unstructured cardio and just set the goal to 20,000 steps. So whether they do it structured or they do it incidental, you can set it as a step goal as well. There's many ways you can play with this. Sport, if they play a sport a couple times a week, it depends on the sport and may be part of the social aspect as well. So that could be a way to include cardio as well. Um, just make sure they don't get injured playing their sport because I, I usually see that uh, sometimes. So conditioning workouts. We are going to do some condition. We're going to do two conditioning workouts today. My two favorite conditioning workouts. Um, and I've put. And the reason I'm going to give you the backstory on these is the two conditioning workouts that we're going to do are my own unique spin on what I learned from Charles. So Charles had German body uh, German body comp training and athletic German body comp training. So credit to Charles. Uh, German body comp training was traditionally set up as a quad set. So meaning you would do upper lower upper lower. The focus was lactic acid buildup. Athletic German body comp training was you either paired or you tri-set an exercise. So usually it was upper lower or upper lower upper. Athletic German body comp training usually paired with 45 seconds rest in between. Progression was to keep the weight the same but at a lower rest. So what that basically meant was uh, in athletic German body comp training, you'd keep the weight the same but every week, instead of having 45 seconds rest between the exercises, you'd have 40 seconds. And the week after, you would have 35. And the week after, you'd have 30. So you're increasing the amount of density. You're increasing what? Density. density in the workout. So same amount of work done in less time with less rest. This is something that I love. And I made Tyrone cry once. He didn't really cry. But he said this was one of the hardest things he's done. Um, he's down the back. But this is a lactic tolerance test. And this might look really, really easy on paper. This is one of those things. It looks easy and then you do it and you're like, man, this is so hard. So it's four exercises. It's 12 reps. It's A1 is your squat. You do a, if you're male, you do 100% of your body weight. So if I weigh 85 kilos, guess what? I'm putting 85 kilos on the bar. If you weigh 100 kilos, you're putting 100 kilos on the bar. If, you weigh, if you're female, you put 75% of your weight on the bar. Your deadlift is 12 reps, and you put, if you're male, you put 120% of your load on the bar. So if you're 100 kilos, you put 120 kilos on the bar. If you're female, it's 75% of your weight. Then you do chin-ups, it's 12 reps, and then dips, it's 12 reps. It's 60 seconds rest between all exercises. And when I say 60 seconds, it's not 59, it's not 61, it's 60 seconds. And you better be under that bar at 60 seconds particularly if you're a male, because I'll kick you. 
Um, if you're a female, I'll ask you nicely, please hurry up. Um, and you'll do it. I'll say you're doing an excellent job. Keep going and give you praise and you'll do it. So um, tempo is 4010. Uh, record reps for each round. They will start to, depending on, on how conditioned you are, and this is where it's a test, right? Because we want to get 12 on all four rounds. But a lot of people don't get 12 on all four rounds. They start to drop reps. And we want to record when we start to drop reps. So we do four rounds. Uh, so week one is two rounds. Week two is three rounds. Week four is four rounds. Three minutes rest after each round. Pollock uh, would design it for judo athletes because it used so many muscles. And then it became the standardized test that he ran. I love that one. We're not going to do that one today because we don't have enough equipment with 30 people. Uh, but it is a great one if you want to play with. Lactic tolerance test. It's, um, it's pretty awesome. So we have what I call Maximus GBC. So instead of athletic GBC, this is my spin on how I like to run the GBC program. So I keep it really, really simple. We're going to pair a compound strength movement with a dynamic movement. We're going to do what? Exactly. So we're going to, our pairing is going to be lower upper pairings that make the most sense and you can have a lot of fun. So rest principles still apply. So example, a trap bar deadlift, six to eight reps, four zero one zero tempo, landmine squat press, which has a dynamic nature to it. So when we do a landmine squat press, we're going to be moving fast through it. So we've got a strength movement with a dynamic movement, 45 seconds rest, four rounds. Another example, snatch grip deadlift from a, from a plate. Uh, then 45 seconds rest into a prowler. 15, uh, 15 to 20 seconds, 15 seconds of work. 45 seconds rest, we're going back and forth, right? Another example, incline bench press with a vertical ball throw. A vertical ball throw is we grab a ball and we throw it up overhead. Um, if you've watched our YouTube, you may have seen Liz do this. So, um, James, James, um, so uh, vertical ball throw. Then we have dips, six to eight, paired with farmer's walk, 15 meters. Then chin-ups paired with atlas stones. So atlas stones, we have the, the dead balls. So the reason why I like the chin-up and the atlas stones is because they're working what? What is working? more specifically, our posterior chain, right? So four rounds, so these are examples. Uh, here's a full day example. So full day example one, trap bar deadlift, vertical throw as a pairing, the B work, seated row and sled pull. Do you see the pairing how I'm doing seated row and sled pull? What's that gonna do? We're fatiguing the pull, yeah? We're fatiguing the pull. We're fatiguing through there. So basically we're compounding the effects. Uh, so when we go back to the pool, they're getting more and more fatigued. And then we have kettlebell swings. I like to throw these in. The kettlebell swings specifically, I really like to enhance people's, uh, essentially when I'm training a deadlift, I'm trying to get someone better at deadlift and using their hips, I really, really like the kettlebell swing. Um, because it, you, you're able to achieve thousands and thousands or hundreds and hundreds of reps with a kettlebell swing. Um, through hip extension over and over and over again. So a kettlebell swing, that's why I like to do it, uh, particularly if some, if I'm trying, I've used this uh, method for a lot of, uh, used it like Liz, she started, which she worked here for a while. She started her deadlift, I don't know, it was about 80 kilos. And she ended up maxing out at about 100, and, no, she maxed out at 135 kilos. 
one of the ways we got her, got her there was I gave her a shit ton of, that's a technical term, I gave her a shit ton of kettlebell swings every workout. I've done the same thing with a whole bunch of different uh, clients. Again, the reason is, is I can train that hip extension over and over and over again. So you've got 30 reps, 15 reps on the double arm, that's 60, 60 reps per pairing. If I do that uh, five rounds, you know, it's a lot of volume. So full day example two, snatch grip uh, deadlift, five zero. So you can see we're playing with the tempos here too. Five zero one zero, incline press, five zero one zero. This is gonna create a lot of lactic acid. The snatch grip deadlift is a good one because we're using the posterior chain, we're using quads, and then we're also getting lactic acid in the chest as well. Vertical ball throw, seated row, sled pull. Again, we're using that, we're, we're really fatiguing that posterior chain. And then finishing off with prowler run, 15 seconds of work with a prowler push. The reason why I like the prowler push and the prowler run together is simply because it's easy in terms of managing the, the workout and managing equipment, it becomes quite easy. So you push it. So a prowler push is where you get into position and you push the sled, right? Um, whereas a prowler run is you're running with the sled. Full day example three, farmer's walk. Uh, so front squat, the heavy movement, farmer's walk, the dynamic movement. Then the Bs, fat bar incline press with a sled pull. And then the Cs, chin up with landmine squat. This is a pretty hard, they're all pretty hard. So uh, then we have this system, which is your energy systems. This is a good one. This is based more on repeating efforts. What is it based on? So this is called, I learned this from Andre Benoit. This is again another one of the Poliquin systems. It's called 30-15-15. We used to do it in the internship, but 30-15-15 isn't how many reps you do. It's a time scheme system. So it's 30 minutes. So 30 minutes, you, you find your 6RM. So let's say your 6RM on the bench press is 50 kilos. You put that on the bar. You've got 30 minutes and you're gonna pair it. So let's say we do, uh, we're doing chest. We do bench press with chin-ups. You find your 6RM and then for 30 minutes, you're gonna do as many sets as you can do at two reps. How many reps? Right, so it's 30 minutes, two reps back and forth at a 6RM. Every workout, you record how many sets you can do. So say week one, the sets that you do, say it's 20. Week two, 22. Week three, you wanna see improvement. And you and if you have if you have competitors, or keep it, this guy's killing me. This guy's killing me, it's fucking killing me. Um, if, if you have, uh, if you have competitive clients who uh, basically don't like to lose, an example of that would be like Andrew who's, and Janet, for example, right? They would never want to go backwards in a workout ever. So they would push very, very hard to make sure that, like, it, it inbuilds their own competition where they're trying to improve themselves workout to workout. Uh, 15 minutes. The next 15 minutes is is actually it's eight to 12 reps. Oh, sorry. The next 15 minutes, you find your 12 RM, then you're doing six to eight reps. And then the last 15 minutes is you find a 15 to a 20 RM, you're doing 15 to 20 reps. So usually that like that, those Cs, you're doing things like farmer's walks or you're doing a prowl, are you doing a prowler or you're doing a, a pull. You, you can do it like body weight squats and cut, but you, you, it's kind of like just, usually at the 15 minutes, you're not measuring, it's not as important to measure that, that last C section or even the B section. The B section is kind of like your supplementary work. But the, the one you're me always measuring is the A1, A2, right? So it's a good system to use. I've really enjoyed that in the past as well. Then we have this system, which I took the concept from Poliquin's 61224. So he's got a method called 61224. 
The thing was with 6, 12, 24, is I'd do six reps and 12 reps, and I'd always be fucking bored when I got to 24 or 25. Like I hated doing 25 reps. I was like, just fucking boring. So I changed it to 6, 12, strongman. And what 6, 12, strongman is, is you do the 6, 12 as normal. So in this case, we do six reps of chin-ups, 12 reps of seated row, and then we do a sled pull which is basically high volume, you're doing about 24 reps anyway. But for me, it was just more mentally stimulating and, and easier to put together. Then we have uh, dips, so six reps of dips, 12 reps of incline press, then a power push for 15 meters. So another example of this is front squat, six reps, dumbbell lunges, 12 reps, farmer's walk, 16 meters, uh, paired with B1, B2, B3, leg curl, back extensions, and prowler. Upper body example, Incline press, six reps. Dumbbell rotating press, 12 reps. Sled pull, 15 meters. Three minutes rest. And then you pair it with chin up, six reps. Lap pull down, 12 reps. And a prowler press, 15, minute, uh, 15 meters. And see how I've switched them. So for the upper body, for the chest work, for the push work, the, the strong man is a pull. And then for the, uh, when you're doing the pull work, the strong man movement is the, the pressing work, right? So it's complementary. Uh, cool. Any questions on those? I'm not going to get you to write out the systems because I've got your programs here. And I'm going to review those. But you can definitely use those systems uh, in your own time. Yes? So I just, yeah, I just, so Charles is... He used different, like, in terms of the exercise selection, sometimes, like, one of, one of the ones would be, like, you know, incline press, front squat, chin-up, for example. And I, I think it's great. Like, 45 seconds, 45 seconds, 45 seconds. It was good. I figured, how do I enhance this? So, the, my, my simple spin on it is, it's always a pairing. You can use three exercises, but usually a pairing of a strength movement with a dynamic movement. Um, what I find it, with clients who sometimes can be lazy in terms of not moving fast with intent is giving them that dynamic movement forces them to move fast. The thing is when you move fast, usually you're gonna get your heart rate up. That's why like people hate burpees is because you can't, you can't do a burpee slow. You can't do a jump slow. So sometimes like I will use jumps for certain clients who they just move slow. They do a rep and then they wait. Like I remember training this client, she'd do a rep and then she'd rest every rep 20 seconds should stop. So I'm like, how do I combat this? So I started giving her dynamic things and that really helps. So I still give her the strength work, but then I'd pair it with dynamic to time. And that put constraints on her where she knew she had to work for this allocated time. And that's where I got the idea from. So, and then I looked at what Charles, and I just kind of put these things together. So the main, the main tweak from what Charles has done, and I suppose the progression is, is strength movement with dynamic movement paired. For, still using the same system of 45 seconds, but that's fundamentally how I use it. And then you can use it either antagonist, protagonist, or you can use it as complementary and, and as a fatigue. So meaning I could give you front squats with prowler, or I could give you front squats with a vertical throw. How you want to structure that based on the client, based on the athlete, based on what you're trying to achieve. Make sense? Thanks for listening to the Enterprise Fitness Podcast and watching the full presentation. If you've enjoyed this, remember to hit subscribe and leave us a comment wherever you're listening to this through or a review would be forever grateful. Till next week, train hard, eat well and supplement smart.